it's not just the noise it's you know they want to touch you all the time and that's that's <laughs> fine it's my child I, I love giving my child hugs and playing with him like that but sometimes it's just like you know there's a good touch and there's annoying touch and sometimes yeah. it's annoying Hello and welcome back to the Elton Autistic Podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by YouTuber Yo Samdi Sam and we talk about how she got started on YouTube, the early years of autistic motherhood, and also just a bit of a general chat, to be honest. It's a pretty cool conversation. Well, I think so anyway. Have a listen and let me know what you think. I was diagnosed with autism about a year ago now and... So basically, I immediately went onto YouTube to <laughs> film a video about it. And so then I just kind of got into the habit and my channel kind of grew from there. So now I am a, officially a YouTuber, I suppose. Wow. And yeah, and it's yeah. it's kind of been a, a pretty crazy year, a, b- a big transformation in my life. But, you know, I guess now I'm in my mid-30s, it's sort of like now or that never, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So did you get diagnosed in the UK or over in, where are you, the Netherlands? No, yeah, I live in the Netherlands. I'm British, but we moved out about seven years ago now. Okay. And so basically, um, sorry, I'm saying a lot. Honestly, <laughs> they stay in. I don't care. If they don't want to listen, they don't listen. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not. I've been thinking about like I say like all the time. I've had people asking me to stop swearing. It's like with the amount I swear, if I stop swearing, I actually won't talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. (laughs) I mean, I try and edit out the ums sometimes just to make it more fluent. But it Mm. also, it's you know, we're recording at the end of the day, so uh, I've I've all in at the end of the day, and I was like, oh, have I done this? I did one last night as well, and I was just like trying to form a question. Yeah. Fill the space hmm. I can't think. But yeah. So what were we talking about anyway? <laughs> uh you moved into the Netherlands seven years ago, yeah. getting your diagnosis out there. Oh yeah, getting diagnosis. So basically I was pregnant and then I had a little baby and you know, in that kind of bubble of new motherhood and I was watching a lot of YouTube and this mm-hmm. video. I wasn't watching anything about autism. I was just watching things things here and there, you know, just I don't know, random things that I liked. And uh, this video kept popping up on my recommended. And it was, what's her name? Invisible Eye, Katie from Invisible Eye. And it was a video about autism girls. And it popped up and I was like, okay, psychology is interesting. Let's have a look. And I looked at the video and I thought, oh, crap, (laughs) that's me. And when I started thinking about it, it kind of sucked me in and I it sort of explained so much that I just thought, well, I think now I should talk to people about this and see what they think. So I actually, I went online and I did a, I found a list of how autism presents in women mm-hmm. and I printed it out and I took it to my husband and without telling him why, I said, can you read through this and tell me if it sounds like you? 
<laughs> Do you know, he said, when I told him what it was, he said, oh, I thought you'd done a personality test and these were your personalized were results. Oh my God. Um, so he was like, yeah, this is exactly you. So yeah, basically it took about six months of umming and ahhing and then, and then I went to the GP and was diagnosed from there. But I was very lucky that I was able to do it in English because I, my Dutch is all right, but it's certainly not, you know, professional level yeah. Dutch. So it was actually a very smooth process getting diagnosed in a foreign country. It sounds scary, but, you know, it was about four month waiting lists. So it really wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And the the psychologist I saw was extremely knowledgeable about autism in adults and females. So, yeah, that whole thing was, was quite a positive experience for me, which is not really what you think about when you think about getting diagnosed with Oh, where um, are you? Are you there? Still there? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was quite positive. So aside from starting the YouTube, well, cont- well, you already had a YouTube channel, didn't you? But you've just changed your focus towards also now that you're more. Yeah, well, I've always kind of wanted to do YouTube, but I never knew what to do it about. So I was basically yeah. I wasn't sharing it anywhere. I was just making videos because I wanted to, and like doing yeah. like clean with me videos because I liked watching them at the time because I found them very um, soothing. <laughs> Is that mm. not very autistic? But <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch someone else clean, but I won't do it myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I was just I was just trying things out, like getting the hang of using my camera and, and things like that because I didn't really yeah. know what I wanted to do, and then I. I did the video about my diagnosis story, which was the first yeah. video I did. And I think it got it got the most views that I'd ever had, which was like, I don't know, I think it got 80 views or something. And mm. I was like, oh, people like this. <laughs> and then I just thought, well, I had a few comments saying like, oh, this is really interesting. And, you know, just one or two comments at that time is sometimes enough to motivate you that you get the feeling that people Actually want to hear what you have. to listen, yeah. Exactly. And it's a nice feeling. I've, uh, well, I do talk quite a lot sometimes, but a lot of the the other times I'm really quiet and I feel like I'm not allowed to talk. So it's kind of nice that I can just have my channel and I can talk as much as I like on whatever I want to say. And the worst thing that people can do is turn off, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Has having the official diagnosis changed anything in your life? It's changed everything. And I think the reason for that is because I am so old, <laughs> because I am an, an autistic elder, as I think the hashtag on Twitter went. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm coming up to, to having to call myself mid 30s. I can't even call myself early oh. 30s anymore. I have lived so much life thinking that I am a certain way. Mm-hmm. And to be able to, I know people say, oh, why would you want to label yourself? But it's incredibly empowering to have a label that explains everything that isn't just, oh, you're lazy or you're shy or you're quirky or you're this or you're that. It's like, no, I'm autistic. And that means that all of these, all of these things that mostly it was myself calling myself, you know, like lazy. It's given me permission to not use that language at myself anymore. And that is incredibly, that's life changing. And it's given myself the ability to say, no, you're not less than, you're different. Well, I mean, it, it helped that I was kind of like pushed straight out into the neurodiversity movement. So I never had any rhetoric of like, you know, calling it a disorder or yeah. all this kind of stuff. So like I, I jumped right into the the neurodiversity thing and that really yeah. helped with this sort of 
you know, coming to terms with it because I was around people online who were also positive about it. So, yeah, and then, of course, there has been some support from the state here. They support autistic adults in, oh, a, in okay. a way that you would never expect. I mean, I have, they call them the Bechalaida, which is sort of like a coach or a mentor. Mm-hmm. There's not really a translation because it doesn't exist in the UK. Yeah, I heard you mention um, it in your, what was I think it was the ex- executive function video. You yeah, that. so basically I have somebody who comes to my house, they, they assess for how many hours are needed. So if I had uh, greater support needs, they would obviously provide more hours in a week. But I have two hours a week. And my coach comes to my house and he helps me sort my shit out, basically. Yeah, and and so it's been with his help that I've been able to develop like the weekly task list and try and get on a schedule. Not like I clean everything every week, but at least now I know, okay, it's been a really bad week and I now have not cleaned the toilet in three weeks. But like I didn't know that before. So it was like I was yeah. trying to keep that information in my head, trying to keep track of everything and you know, once you have a family, it's like so much harder to keep on top of that stuff. And I was just overwhelmed. And it's not like I'm still not overwhelmed, but at least now I have a system that works. Yeah. So it's kind of like stuff like that. He's helped me develop it. And it's not like I couldn't have done it by myself, but it's like I didn't know where to start. And at the moment, what we're doing is working on kind of like a weekly schedule because the thing about kids, especially like when they're much younger, before they're at school, mm-hmm. that their schedule is kind of like changing constantly because they have three naps and then they have two naps and then they have one nap and then they have no naps at all. And you sat there going, I have to keep you busy between the hours of 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. every single day. So my my kid just dropped his nap, which is why it's a bit like everything changed <laughs> again. You know, it's like we had a routine and now I'm like, OK, I don't know what to do. And of course, I have about 14 hours less time every week to do my work, to do YouTube, to do anything. So the last, I'd say, month or so has just been, it's kind of like been a bit survival mode for me. But that's the kind of thing that I'm working with my coach to sort out. You know, when people say, well, how does he actually help you? This is this is what he does. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there is. So there's that support. I'm just trying to think what other support there might be for adults here I think it really depends on your circumstances they're quite flexible as to what you need you know I'm kind of used to the UK mentality where it's like you get what you're given and here they're like but what do you need and I'm like well I need a lot of things but you are you going to give them to me so it's kind of like how much tax do you pay sorry what (laughs) how much tax do you pay how much tax that's an extremely complicated question just As like a, in general, like, do you feel like, oh, it's a lot, oh, it's a little, oh, it's worth the services I'm getting? Because, like, I feel like I pay tax and I don't go to the doctors. So, why am I paying tax? If but, like, you, do you feel like, you know, if you're an you employee pay? at a company, you've got like a job and you have like a regular life, comparing it to the UK and the Netherlands, it might be a touch higher in the Netherlands, but you get yeah. a lot more services. But it's really just being taxed in different ways. Yeah. I don't. It, it's it's it feels expensive to live here, but I don't feel like I mean, well, I moved from London, so it's really difficult to compare. <laughs> like you know, because <laughs> we moved out of London because it was bloody expensive, you know. So yeah, it's it's a I feel like, it, I feel like it's worth it. It sounds to me, it sounds like it's worth it. Yeah, well, I mean, I get all of this autism support for free. 
yeah, I mean, the, we could have a very long discussion about the tax in the Netherlands, I'm sure. <laughs> but maybe your your listeners are not that interested. Yeah. You say that, but special interests, like, yeah, you yeah. never know. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm really disappointing whoever's special interest this is. <laughs> but no, it is, yeah, it's, it's not a cheap place to live unless you live out in the country. If you live in the Randstad, which is like Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, this, the, the cities are all concentrated on the west of the Netherlands, then it's expensive. But if you live out in the countryside, it's much cheaper. Um, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. But that's like that in all countries, I think, in the UK yeah. as well. But I mean, even services in a, in a city in the UK aren't great. So like, yeah. I mean, I'm not slug off the NHS, but Boris is Britain, isn't it? So well, the what? NHS has been defunded. So that's the, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? it exactly. it's, a, it's a great idea in principle, but you have to actually fund it. it You've got to fund yeah. mental health. Especially, you know, it's 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 a mess. It's a whole whole mess. Yeah. So day to day, do you are you like a stay at home mum? Do you like do you have a do you have what do you do? What's your job? Like, what's your, yeah. Um, my husband and I set up a business over here for tax reasons. <laughs> I don't think I should really get into tax on this actually I don't know yeah, let's, not, let's not talk about business tax no, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's nothing shady We've just, we just have we set up a business together because it's practical to have two of us like as a board yeah. but you know my, my husband does contracting work he's an engineer and well basically I, I really when I was living in London and when we moved, I was, I was struggling to find anything and I was struggling to get interviews and I was struggling to find any kind of employment because, well, now, now I understand a little bit more about why that would be. But at the time I just thought I was failing at life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm very educated. I've got extremely good academics and yet there was just something that wasn't working. I would go into an interview and I would answer their questions honestly yeah you know so it was just and it was just like I just couldn't get I couldn't get it together I couldn't work out why I wasn't getting anywhere and I would see my peers from school and they were getting somewhere and what's you know what's wrong with me basically so I was I was temping for a while in London which I didn't really enjoy because it was admin work it was boring and then I I my husband very graciously said that I could try and pursue my dreams of being a gluten-free blogger, which this was in like 2012 when bloggers still were a thing, I guess. Yeah, this, this um, kind of up now. The, I mean, ish. The, yeah. I think the best, the best. I think the best blogs now are like more like broadcasters and like like publishing houses more than actual blogs. Like, you know, like yeah, what where and like the massive ones like Refinery Twenty Nine. Like technically, it's a blog, but it's like it's not, is it? But nowadays, it's all much more about the media, the podcast, so video. Sure, yeah. It's stuff like that. People don't read, you know, and that's that was disappointing for me to learn at the time. But, you know, it was it was a nice project and I thought that I could make something, but it was also kind of good for me to fail at something in in hindsight, mm -hmm. of course. <laughs> not that I <laughs> not that I failed at it. I just I, I kind of I just got a bit bored with it because there was only so much you could do with food and then food blogging turned into something different and I was not a photographer and if you were not a photographer yeah. then it just became like you couldn't so I basically stopped doing that when we were trying for a baby and then I focused on 
being pregnant and raising a child in the first year or so. And then I started getting a bit itchy. Like I wanted to do something and create something and I wanted to do something more meaningful, more meaningful, but you know what I mean? Something that was mine and something that was a creative process. So that's kind of why, that's how I got into YouTube videos. So what type of jobs were you looking for whilst you were in London, like beforehand? Like what industry did you want to get into? Oh, I mean... (laughs) anything really I applied I applied to so much my my undergraduate degree is in psychology I I studied in York actually religion in contemporary society which is why I did that the religion video because that's sort of my one of my nerdy interests so what I really wanted to do with that was you can tell you can sort of get a picture of what my CV looks like and maybe why I wasn't invited back to interview but But this um, is the thing this is like I think that because when autistic people have a passion they'll go they'll just like go all in on it and then once they're over it they're over it and they'll jump onto the next one like I'm not like I'm surprised I'm very surprised I have not stopped with this adult autistic stuff yet like and even my friends are like this is uh, this is the longest (laughs) we've known you to do anything I'm like I know this is actually insane like it's the topic that keeps on giving right because it is you you know and people could talk about themselves for years. Oh well, yeah, there's that, and there's also the fact that I'm still really annoyed that like I'm just waiting. Like I've, I've I did this interview the other day, and this girl was like, "How?" Because I was like, "I'm t- I'm actually quite introverted." Because this whole like none of this is about me. It's just about getting the platform which I can then use to like do the events and like have the meetups and get the social ser- like services and fill the gap that's there. Basically make sure make it so that people in the UK have some sort of support like you've got your autism coach yeah like that over here but obviously not a person maybe it's more online I don't know it's not fully worked out yet we're working towards it yeah. but if someone else came along and did that tomorrow then I'd stop all this because that's all I actually want to do but that's fair enough you you are free to stop and start and do and do things as you want okay no. and it's like oh it's like oh like, and especially with I, I don't know how you find it with like youtube and stuff and they're like oh yeah you need to have like a consistent upload schedule like do like tuesday and thursday i'm like mate you'll get a video at some point in the week so it's done, <laughs> it's done. one i'm okay. a bit different i've i've like i've i've swallowed the youtube kool-aid and i'm all like yeah. in the groups like nerding out about seo and stuff like that oh, I, yeah. uh, oh, i do love that no i love all of that but it just, i just can't like physically like trying to fit in like recording editing and thinking into life i'm trying yeah. but yeah. It, the pressure people really underestimate how much time it takes to do youtube i mean like the funny thing was when i was a blogger and I had time and energy, like a, a young 20-something. I don't know. I, it's a long time ago. I can't remember. I struggle. I, I would maybe put out a blog post a week and be like, oh, yeah. I've done so much work. And now I think, do you know how long? It, it probably takes me two or three hours to script a video. Yeah. Um, and then like, I will try and film. I'll try and batch film. So it might take me like one and a half hours to film two videos if I've scripted them out and I know what I'm going to say and then editing, if it's a 20 minute video, it can take two to three hours to edit that. Mm -hmm. If it's a 10 minute video, it's a little bit quicker, obviously. 
And then of course you have to do the thumbnail, which is very important these days. You have to research the tags um, and write a good description. And then I've been really trying to do closed captions on my videos to be more accessible, but you know, it takes me like two or three hours to transcribe a video. So how much work are you putting into this? You know, it is, it's a lot of hours and, and then people just say, oh, this video is crap. You know, and you're just like, mm, thanks mate. But how do you feel now creating content to how you did in the beginning? There's more pressure not to let people down because I feel like people have subscribed and it's not just the numbers. It's not just, oh, I think, oh, there's loads of people. It's the messages I get. I mean, I, I'm so glad that my experiences help other people. And I never would have thought that me just talking about the things I'm going through would have had any effect on other people. I never would have thought that there are so many people like myself out there, but you get messages saying, Oh my gosh, you've helped me so much. You've helped me understand it. I've sent it to my friends and my family. And it's, it, it puts a lot on you. And I'm so grateful for these people, but at the same time, it's all a bit like, ah, You know, how many Instagram messages have I got or message requests and, and I can't reply to all of them. And it it's because it happened so quickly and it, it went from being something that I could control. I could reply to every comment and I could have that to being something where I just have to be like, let it go into the wind. I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining. I really, no, I really like it. But it's that's the reality of growing really quickly. You, I was for nine months in a really nice groove I thought and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now it's on a different level and you know I'm in autistic women's groups and stuff online and and I'll post something like about my day or something and somebody goes oh hey I thought I recognized you and I'm like I don't have any safe space anymore this is a bit like a bit braggy isn't it like oh look how famous I am people recognize me on the internet (laughs) So my segue into the next section is really pathetic. So I thought I'd just jump in here and ask that if you're enjoying listening so far, you leave a review wherever you are, if it's possible, or drop me a DM at Adults and Autistic with some feedback and we can make the rest of the series a little bit better than than this one. But I, I think it's a good episode. I mean, you make up your own mind and let me know, but I think it's all right. Anyway, uh, let's get back to it. So you have a child. Do you like it? I thought you were going to say, do you like him? I was like, he's okay. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be the, the cliche. Oh, it's, it's so much harder than I thought it would be. It's it's not. What's harder is that I was neurotypical before I had him and now I'm autistic. Mm-hmm. But I suppose nothing has changed except my understanding of myself. But no, I think it's it's good in so many ways and it's difficult in so many ways and not all of the Give me struggles... one of each. Well, let me just say not all of the struggles are to do with the fact that I'm autistic. I don't mm-hmm. think some of them are, but okay. So at the moment he's two and a half and he's obviously been, it's the language explosion phase. So he's, he's very much a sensory seeker in comparison to me. Who's like, please be quiet. And so it's just, the noise is difficult to deal with. And noise is one of those things that I kind of like automatically made accommodations for myself throughout my life. So it was never apparent to me how difficult it was because, okay, you might go out to a noisy bar or something and you come home and you're just like, oh, I'm so tired. But then you come home into a quiet house, you know, you you set up your environment. So you'd never notice 
what it's like when you have no control over that environment. You cannot control the amount of noise your child makes. You know, you have made another person and that person depends on you and, and your needs become secondary. And when you didn't realize what those needs were, and you're only start, I'm only starting to work out just how much recuperation I need after things. You know, like I went to the doctor this morning and it would have always had the same effect on me going to the doctor. But now I know I'm going to need a few hours after that to just chill and recover. Mm. I need to go take myself and have a lie down. And, you know, I know that about myself. But the problem is I can't always do anything because I have an obligation to a child. So that's the that's the kind of difficult stuff for me at the moment but good stuff I mean this is going to sound like I'm one of those psychologists from the 1920s that's like I want to mold your child into anything but it's kind of fascinating to to create something from nothing and and then it's like all of a sudden he's got opinions and a personality and it's just incredible to watch and then you're like, wait a minute, are you actually more intelligent than both me and your dad combined? Like, where did this come from? And it's just, it's it's just amazing to watch them grow. And especially at this age, it seems like there's something new every day. And that's good for like a novelty seeker like myself. <laughs> so do you think, like, I don't know, like what, how did you know what to do with, with your child? What you mean, like, literally? Yes, of course I mean literally. <laughs> Well, you know, you might be a masker. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, literally, what, what was the question again? Sorry, my <laughs> husband you... just walked in the room, made a funny face at me, so I'm completely distracted now. <laughs> no, it's all right. How did I know what to do? Yeah. You mean I get home from the hospital, right? As in, like, what do you, you do? Go in, you go in there, it's in your stomach. You come out, it's in your hands. What do you do now? Well, I read a lot of books between the first and the second. Okay. <laughs> um, there are lots of books out there that can help you, Tyler, if you're curious. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, even if you're not, I did all the research because mm. it was a little, like a mini little special interest. Before I even got pregnant, I read a whole book on fertility because I have PCOS. And so I was like, I need to learn how to check my temperature and know if I'm ovulating. Yeah. And like, I got super, super into it. So... I kind of got into that, the whole researching the, the crap out of things. How do you know what to do with a child? There's, there is some stuff that comes naturally. You ever, like, worry that you're doing it wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> time, yes. But there are some things I'm very sure that I'm doing right. Mm -hmm. But it's sort of... I find it very hard to have confidence in myself. So I know that I'm doing it right. I know I'm doing the right thing and this is the right way, but still need sort of outside validation. But Where do you look for that? Well, now there's, I'm in a community of autistic mothers on Facebook, which is fantastic. Yeah, and I suppose spending time with other autistic mothers has allowed me to understand myself more than I thought I ever would. Mm -hmm. Because I always thought I was very weird, I, I always thought I was like actually a bit special, a bit unique. And yeah. then I meet other autistic women and other autistic mothers. And I'm like, but but we're all exactly the same. So I'm not special, actually. I'm just autistic. Yeah. And that's actually kind of nice. It takes the pressure and off. You finally feel like you're part of the community. Yeah. And when I spend time with, I went to a retreat hosted by the group last year. And when I spent time with them, I was actually like, 
I just felt normal and I never feel normal, really. I always feel a bit weird. But so when you say normal, like what do you mean? I related to people around me and it was like, to me, that must be what neurotypical people feel like all the time. Yeah. Just kind of like comfortable, conversation was flowing easily. And that's not my experience in most social situ- social situations. I always struggle with that phrase, social <laughs> situations. Do you see or know of any differences in the way that you've experienced motherhood's motherhood as a autistic woman to whereas like a neurotypical mother does I'm not talking about my particular friends because obviously the people I'm friends with are probably like a bit more they might have maybe more autistic traits than average even if they're not autistic but if comparing it to like some of the mums groups that I went to when when my son was uh much younger and you know the babies I would say that I don't want to say I care more because I don't every you know, mums care about their children in general. But I think I cared more about like doing things right. And other mums were a bit more easy to let things go. And I'm like, but okay, there has to be a correct answer for exactly how much formula to give per body ratio or something. And there is, it's on the box. But you know, that was an example. Like I wanted it to be very much set in stone. I wanted there to be very nice, neat answers to parenting that I could then excel in and do the exact right thing. And that's not really reality, but that was kind of how I wanted it to be. So I would say that I sort of, it wasn't that I cared more. It was just that I... I cared too much maybe about doing it right yeah it was it was a much maybe like a bit more highly strung approach but remember I was also undiagnosed at this point so like I was a bit more highly strung then and I think it's also just a more intense experience for autistic mothers the sensory stuff is really something that like I said you you can't you can't put your child in a room and, you know, go and take a sensory break. You've mm-hmm. got to find workarounds. So I've I've been testing out some different earplugs and ear defenders, this kind of thing. And you have to find a way to make it work. And I, I mean, a lot of people get diagnosed after they have children because their child gets diagnosed. But I was diagnosed, you know, my child is not diagnosed. So I was diagnosed after I, after, when he was a baby because the sensory aspect just became so much more obvious to me. Yeah. And it's not just the noise, it's, you know, they want to touch you all the time. And that's that's <laughs> fine. It's my child. I, I I love giving my child hugs and 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 playing with him like that. But sometimes it's just like it's you know, there's a good touch and there's annoying touch. And sometimes yeah. it's annoying touch and it's difficult to explain to children why you're reacting like you don't want to be touched when it's like you know you want to give them all your love you want to pour your love out onto them and mm-hmm. you're just like please don't touch me again <laughs> and I'm still sort of coming to terms with my diagnosis so it's it's difficult for me to sometimes explain to him why I need a little bit of time <laughs> locked in the toilet for example <laughs> every parent does that but yeah I would say that it's just the main difference between a sort of neurotypical parent and an autistic parent is that I think it's just more intense for the autistic parent and of course autistic parents are sort of statistically more likely to have autistic or neurodivergent children themselves which is kind of like a whole separate thing really. In relation to sensory experiences and stuff like that and 
noises. How did you find being in the hospital when you were? So I had an emergency C-section, which I wasn't expecting. Well, it was an emergency, mm-hmm. as you as you can imagine. So it was all very, um, I don't really know how to describe. Unplanned. I think it was very fast. Yeah. So without going into the detail of my birth yeah, yeah. story, basically my waters <laughs> broke. Two hours later, I had a baby in my arms kind of thing. Yeah that's that's quick and I I think I was obviously in shock and then then I was also on whatever drugs they gave me I think they gave me morphine which I didn't react particularly well to because I couldn't Mm -hmm. sleep and then yeah so I was sort of you know he was three or four weeks early so it was like complete shock you know I was sitting up putting my feet up saying oh I don't want to be pregnant for another four weeks and then it was like boom your wish has been granted (laughs) (laughs) so it's like make it so yeah and and so obviously that was a massive shock and I can't remember I think by that point originally I really wanted a home birth because I was just like I don't want to be in hospital I don't want them to operate on me without my consent like I was really like I don't want to be whatever but because of various complications in the pregnancy I was I knew that it would be in the hospital but no it wasn't a, it wasn't sort of planned that way in in any way but looking back on it I actually kind of think that it was really quick and I I think I I think I would have had a terrible time in labor yeah. I had three contractions and during that time I was like okay I'm done now <laughs> and like people have 48 hours in labor and then they're like oh we'll do a c-section no 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 no." so yeah that's really my my only experience of surgery and you know you're awake for it which is but you know what I mean first of all right okay I know I live in I know I live in the Netherlands and I speak Dutch but I was like I'm going in for a c-section because they were literally wheeling me in they were like oh so do you speak Dutch and I'm like now is not the time to talk about this and they're like, but you live here, right? So basically, I was getting grilled on my language abilities. Oh, my God. And then, so they, they sort of, I'll spare the details, but as they're sewing you up, basically. Mm, um, okay, that was already a lot. But you know, su- surgery, they do, they, do, they do stitching and surgery. they got to sew you up. You'd rather they did than they didn't, right? Yeah, yeah you're um, just hanging out, yeah, cool, yeah. But as they were, you know, doing that, and they were checking my son that everything was all right, they were, they were chatting away in Dutch, and like, Clearly, I understood them because I said, like, I do speak Dutch, but not when I'm giving birth, please. (laughs) They were high-fiving each other over, like, oh, we did this in 20 minutes. We can go home now. Like, this is really good. This is like a record. And I'm just like, I don't know if I even said it out loud because I was on, like, I was had the epidural and I was on morphine and stuff. But I was just like, guys, this is really inappropriate. Oh, my God. (laughs) But I suppose that's like surgeon's humor or something. No, but in terms of the hospital stay, it was it was pretty reasonable. Dutch hospitals are very nice, but the the no it was pretty noisy. It was it, it was just uncomfortable. Like even the nicest hospitals in the world are not like staying in a hotel, so or even that's not very comfortable, you know. So how long was I in there? I was in there for about a week, and yeah, I just wanted to get out, but. Obviously, I didn't know I was autistic then, so I didn't yeah. know even that I needed accommodations, let alone what to ask for. And I think if I had a second child, which I was still, you know, was still thinking about, but not sure, 
now I would go in and I would just slap my autism card down on the on the side and be like, I need your best room, please, mm-hmm. um, or something. I don't know, but I would definitely. I would definitely ask for more things. What exactly I would ask for, I'm not sure. It was a relatively it was a relatively good experience, but I had a lot of prenatal anxiety mm-hmm. and prenatal depression, which is not something that's really I guess it's talked about a bit, but it's not really known. The big one is postnatal depression. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, not, I've never heard of prenatal. Do you know no, I was, basically yeah. my whole pregnancy, I felt dreadful. And then literally the day after I was, I was full of the joys of spring. It was, it was quite yeah. incredible actually. So it's very strange the way that hormones and pregnancy and all of this affect you. It's, the, the human body is a strange, strange thing, I tell you. Yeah. There's a lot we don't know about it. And- yeah. And especially how autistic people react to things and how yeah. how our bodies work. I think that, and, and because I, I now know that autistic people react differently to anesthetics. If I ever go into surgery again, I would want to discuss with the anesthetist beforehand because I didn't know that. Wow. Um, sorry, my husband is just going to put the kettle on and he was asking permission to make some noise. Mate, brew up. I am not, I cannot stop you making a breath. She says, um, mate, brew up. <laughs> <laughs> He's from Yorkshire, so he does, he likes a good brew. <laughs> what have you found? Well, obviously you moved over quite a while ago, but yeah. how was, not knowing you're autistic at the time, but looking back, how did you find the transition? I found that moving to another country actually made me feel more comfortable because my difference, my weirdness was attributed to the fact that, oh, well, she's British. She's, that's why she's weird. So I felt more comfortable being a little bit more myself since I moved to the Netherlands because everyone's just like, oh, she's British. Yeah. (laughs) So it really gave me permission to be a little bit more myself, which is probably why I kind of enjoyed it out there. Because if, if you're sort of similar, but just, just different enough, it's, it's, it's tough. And, you know, I never really felt at home in Britain for various reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So, well, not that I feel like this is home, home, of course it's home for now, but I'm not really somebody that is like tied to a country in that way. Yeah. That's interesting. It takes me a while to actually move into somewhere. So I just live in this like place where I'm living right now. Like there are no pictures up. Like you wouldn't know this is my apartment. Like it just looks like a hotel room type thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no personality to the space. Do you feel attachments to things like your location or like what why where are your ties? What? That's an incredibly difficult question. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. We lived in London for a couple of years. And, you know, I'd I'd been at uni in York and then I'd been down in London for my master's. And then my husband, well, my then boyfriend, now husband, we moved in together into like wherever we could find in London. It was all a bit sort of, well, you know, dodgy landlord kind of situation. So... I don't think I feel attachments to, I might feel a sentiment to countries, but I don't think mm. I would ever feel so attached that I wouldn't 
leave it for whatever reason if an opportunity came up. And I obviously, I feel very attached to my, well, I think probably where I live now, I feel most attached to because it's like, I don't know, it's it's ours and we have, it's, we've been here almost two years. We've only just been starting to like make it feel a bit more ours. It's taken us a long time to get things on the walls and get it decorated nicely, but it's kind of like getting there. But I do, I feel attachments to objects, but not in a really like, oh, I just love my stuff so much. You know, like autist, some autistic people have collections and they just love their stuff. And I'm like, I'm sentimentally attached to this small cardboard box, but I cannot get rid of it. And I want to live in a dreamly minimalist oasis or whatever, but I can't get rid of all my crap. That's kind of my attachment to stuff. It's not, <laughs> it's not really such a good attachment. So that's something that I've been working through for a long time. I mean, I was about 20, I was in my 20s when I came across like minimalism blogs and I first sort of committed to trying to not collect stuff. Because I mean, as a child and a teenager, I didn't throw anything away. I just piled mm -hmm. it up in my room. And now the whole sort of household organization thing like oh no you have to buy baskets and then you put things in by category that's not something that comes naturally to me it's like oh i could buy baskets and label them and then then i'd know where my onions are you know that kind of stuff like that's <laughs> mind-blowing to me <laughs> so that's something i struggle with attachment to, to things and sort of not not necessarily in a good way i i strive to be more minimalist and well, less consumerist as well and and, and all that. But yeah, I, the problem is I also really like shiny things, you know, and that's a literal and metaphorical kind of thing. But I suppose the best way of sort of reducing your, your footprint is to just buy less. Well, one of the ways of reducing your footprint yeah. is to just buy less and like work with what you've got and, and, and cozy it up in whatever you can whatever you can do. I'm just kind of rambling now, aren't I? <laughs> Rumble away. So no, I get what you're saying. In terms of minimalism, like I think taking a mil min right, min minimalist approach to <laughs> minimalist approach to like just life in general or kind of, this is a thing, right? Do you not think there are all these like words and like things like minimalism, essentialism and what else is there? What's the other one? capsule wardrobe like all these things you're like mate these are autistic traits oh my god like, i was so into the idea of capsule wardrobes for a very long time and i never <laughs> got it but i was like so that was one of my special interests actually despite yeah. the fact that i couldn't do it but, but yeah yeah like it capsule is... wardrobe where or we see these like 10 by 10 challenges it's like i only wear 10 things too but it's because these are the only things that i find comfortable and i refuse to go out of my comfort zone and find something else like <laughs> exactly <laughs> Stop hashtagging my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's it's kind of like, it's very soothing for me to look at these organized things. Like I said, with the Clean With Me videos, I like watching yeah. them because it's like, it's escapism because I can't do that in my own life. So I sort of live vicariously through other people's creative expressions on social media. Um, who do you like to watch online? Like who, who, who are your go-tos? Oh. God, now that's put me on the spot, isn't it? Do you in your sub box? Go on. Who's in my sub box? Should I just go and look and see who's in it? Let's do it. Because it's actually private. I set it to private because I was embarrassed. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Let me have a look. Subscriptions. 
Oh, you, there's a list, right? Okay, so I recently subscribed. This is it's all in re by recent, isn't it? This is this is so. a Swedish like off grid uh, couple. They're called Talasbuan. Talasbuan. I'm not sure, but they basically it's like it's a bit like ASMR, but not annoying MS A ASMR. So it's basically like really just beautifully shot footage of them like living off grid in the forests of Sweden. Then there is somebody that I've just discovered, which who it's called the Personal Philosophy Project, who I think that you would really like. It's a very interesting look at a variety of different topics. Oh, so, and I get vague autistic vibes from her, but I don't want to be like, oh, she's definitely autistic because that's kind yeah. of a dick move, isn't it? But like, I I definitely resonate. Why would you say that? Why would you think it would be a dick move to be like, I think you're autistic? I don't know. Diagnosing people on the internet. That's the thing. I, even though I'm pretty good, like I've got a pretty good radar, ADAR. <laughs> I just think I don't, I don't want to talk. I don't want it to be like I'm gossiping about them. Oh yeah, this person's definitely autistic. You know, yeah. I, I I think that's a bit like I don't like to do that, but I can't help myself making speculations. That's the problem. So, yeah. But I really I, I just think she's got good content. Who else? There's Jessica Kellran Fozard. I don't know how you pronounce her name, which I cannot believe I've only just discovered her because she's amazing. Does she make? She does a lot about disability. Let's just have a look at her videos. And she just did an amazing video about Jamila Jamil. Can you tell if a disabled person is faking? Because she also has EDS. Ooh, so, okay. I mean, she's got like a million subscribers. Oh, no, no, 600,000 subscribers. But So I'm a bit late to the show, but I just discovered her and I love her. I'm also subscribed to like a load of kind of, I don't want to say like base, basic bitches, but like a few like that. American YouTubers who just do lifestyle content. Yeah. Because I just like watching people clean houses live. and just like I don't know a couple of them were pregnant at the same time I was so when oh, they were uploading cute. pregnancies that's how I got into it when they were uploading like oh I'm at this number of weeks I was like watching their their second trimester experience or something so it was a bit like that and I just kind of stuck around I guess who else do I watch for autistic stuff I really like Asperger's from the inside I think he's he's really great makes good videos um Wheezy Waiter is one of my favourites. Do you know him? I've never heard of him. Wheezy Waiter is hilarious. Link them to. There one more is... and then... One more. Okay, oh, I'll make it a good one. Just this amazing YouTuber, adulting autistic. I was um... literally going to say, if you didn't put me, like, this episode is not going up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I really like, I think your content's just like, you're really improving every time. And like, I can, oh, I, I notice it, you know, so I hope other people do. Until you get bored, of course, and then you've got full permission to just give it all up, you know, do something Until else. Until I what, sorry? Until you get bored. <laughs> yeah. You've got my full permission to just stop it and do something else. Just waiting for that day. Um, what was my final question going to be? I have some absolute banger in my head then. Oh, it's got what's to come what's for to come? you and your YouTube channel. And like, I've noticed you've started your Discord. What happens What happens behind those closed doors? Oh, big secrets. Big, it's basically like... Um, a bit of a VIP club, a Sam VIP club. I've just uploaded, it's turning into a bit of an exercise in narcissism, to be honest. I've just uploaded a custom emoji of my face for people to use. Ooh, We're yeah. having a lot of fun. It's basically a chat server and I've come up with loads of different topics. So, you know, if people want to talk about books, we were thinking about doing like an autistic book club, you know, talking about other topics anyway. Now that now you put me on the spot, I can't remember. We've got 
questions, craft. There's lots of craft chat, lots of knitting going on. Talking about discussing my YouTube content. It's basically just like a nice community for people to to continue the conversation outside of like, because I'm not really in the comments as much as I would like to be. And so it's a place for people to get involved. So yeah, it's kind of like a secret little VIP club. You can go to my Ko-fi page and if you select the monthly option, it's like three euros or pounds or dollars. I'm not sure how it does the currency, but like Mm -hmm. a little amount each month. And you get access to a bit of behind the scenes stuff. You get access to some videos early. You get to chat with me all day. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> like I've got anything better to do. No, it's just it's just a really cool like community. And then like obviously as it grows, I can I can do more and more with it. So yeah, be there or be square. That was really lame, wasn't you know, it? Yeah, that's because you're not around. I'm sorry? Did you know that's because you're not around? Oh, yeah, very good. <laughs> I don't think Sam was that impressed with my joke. <laughs> a link to Sam's channel and a couple of the other ones mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes, as well as links to the Adulting Autistic chat room, or you could just head over to chat.adultingautistic.com, which is where we discuss kind of all types of things. It's just something away from social media, which is kind of funny given that I live on Instagram. But yeah, I just thought we could have a little bit of a private space just to talk amongst ourselves. Um, We can discuss podcast episodes over there. We've got a couple of threads going on. One about coping with COVID. One where you talk about your diagnosis story. And I could go on forever, but I mean, we're done with the episode and I want to let you go. So thank you for listening and join me again next week.